Welcome to IB Talk, the leading podcast for the insurance industry across Australia, New Zealand, and throughout the Asia Pacific region. Brought to you by Insurance Business. Welcome back to IB Talk. I'm Danny Wood, News Editor of Insurance Business Australia. Today's guest is Brent Lehman. Brent is WTW's General Manager of Commercial and Affinity. WTW, of course, is formerly Willis Towers Watson, the global risk management and insurance brokerage company. Apart from leading the company's tech innovations, Brent is also a big believer in nurturing talent and founded improveme.com.au to help do that. Welcome, Brent. Thank you, Danny. Looking forward to today's conversation. Yeah, well, let's start start off with you've been with WTW for about two decades. It's um, your whole insurance career. How did you end up deciding that insurance was the career for you? Uh, yeah, interesting question, Danny. Uh, and I will start off by saying my it's my whole insurance broking career, not so much the whole insurance career. Uh, but like a lot of people within insurance. We don't choose it. I think insurance chooses us. And, you know, I cast my mind back to 1991 when I first entered the industry with an insurer. And it was essentially a great opportunity that I was presented with at the time with an organisation that was prepared to fund somebody's uh, education development through a formal degree and combine that with on-the-job full-time work experience. And at the time, I thought that was a wonderful opportunity. I knew nothing about insurance, uh, but gaining that work experience alongside those formal educational qualifications, I thought was an opportunity too good to refuse. You sound like you were a very rational young person. So it was really quite a, you made a very mature decision back then. Uh, In hindsight, we can probably look at it that way, Danny. Uh, I think maybe it was fortuitous at the time, um, but uh, that that opportunity that I was provided with back then is something that I've always been forever grateful for. And, and you spent two decades at WTW. Presumably that implies it's a, it's a nice place to work. What do, you, what do you like so much about WTW? Uh, yeah, WTW has been a, it's a great organisation. It's, it's steeped in history and tradition, uh, going back with the original Willis branding and it's you know more recently morphed into the WTW brand that it is today. Uh, what I've thoroughly enjoyed about this organisation uh, is, whilst it is a global, very large international firm, it's always been able to operate in an entrepreneurial and nimble manner. So if you do have some entrepreneurial flair and spirit and you want to create something, the organisation will tend to go out of their way to back you to try things if it's going to make a difference and support the organisation and the clients that we work with. Uh, and that's been my experience for what is nearly 20 years now. And uh, I, I think it's just been a, a great environment to be part of. And tell us a bit about how you got into the tech side, because your your role is is, is quite multifaceted, but it, it, it focuses in some ways on tech. How did you educate that side of your brain? Yeah, I think there's probably two terms I would use here is uh, I put it down to really uh, interest and necessity. Um, From an interest perspective, uh, just as a person, uh, I've always had a bit of an interest in, you know, what's coming over the horizon and how do we need to prepare ourselves both personally and professionally for the next opportunities that might uh, present themselves to us. So that natural interest was always there. But then 
more from a necessity perspective, you know, industries are changing all around the world, all around us at uh, a rapid pace. And our ability to embrace new th- new ways of thinking, not just necessarily new ways of doing old things, uh, becomes really important. So once you understand the marriage between interest and necessity, uh, then it becomes something that you get a little bit passionate about. Tell us a bit about what you do at, at WTW with that in mind, because your, your title, General Manager of Commercial and Affinity, uh, what exactly does the affinity part stand for? So the affinity part of our organisation is essentially where we work with organisations who would ideally like to use insurance products to further develop their relationships either with their customers, their members or other constituents, however they may be defined. Um, What we try and do is we deliver many of these products and services through the use of technology um, and because we want to give more people access to quality products and services that have been created under the brand of the sponsor that we're working with. Uh, Because if it helps them uh, enhance their customer relationship and it helps them from a brand profile and a brand recognition perspective, you know, they by extension can get increased uh, customer and brand loyalty as well. So that's what we try and deploy from an affinity perspective and have had quite a lot of success over the, uh, you know, for an extended period of time and more recently too. You're very comfortable talking about technical terms, and I can just tell by your answer there. But I mean, you're a, you're a broker, but you're also referred to as the insurtech guru at WTW. I mean, those two identities, in the minds of some brokers, might sit a little uneasily together because brokers do see, in some ways, a threat from insurtechs and technology. You know, taking direct insurance, that sort that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, how how do you see that whole tension between you know brokers and insurtechs and technology that might be, I guess, cancelling out their role in some insurance areas? Uh, Firstly, I'll say insurtech guru within WTW. It might be just a little bit of a stretch there, Danny. Um, It's just obviously (laughs) I've had a little bit of interest in and then my interest has then extended into wanting to learn more, understand more, and really appreciate the marriage that can exist between technology and broking. the one thing I'll say up front is everybody gets a little bit, they either get excited or they get daunted uh, or they fear some elements of technology or insure tech. Uh, but the one comment I'll make is, in a general sense, uh, technology should always be considered an enabler uh, to achieve an outcome. It shouldn't be considered the end game. And what I mean by that is good clients will always respect and appreciate the expertise and the advice that a broker can provide. The true trick here is how to create collaborative solutions where you combine uh, expertise and advice with technology and various other uh, delivery solutions that can support what a client is actually looking for. It's a it's an interesting debate, though, isn't it? Because I have spoken to uh, top dogs at, at brokers and they tell me that uh, these are veterans who've been around for 30 years and they've been uh, negotiating the best price for their customers for decades. They say now they're faced by insurance companies' algorithms and it's not so easy to, to you know, to, to bargain and, and debate and discuss things anymore. Uh, is that is that something that's changing a bit now? I mean, uh, do you feel like insurance companies are getting their head around appreciating the best way to use this technology? 
without a doubt, I think we're at a, a point in time uh, where we've got access to more data than we've ever had access to before. So our ability to apply technology uh, to crunch that data and determine specific outcomes are tools and capabilities that insurers have got today that they've not had access to in previous years or previous decades. And that's only going to become more and more sophisticated as time progresses. Uh, but it doesn't mean to say that you don't have an ability to influence an outcome uh, because brokers themselves can also access technology too um, in terms of the information that they're collecting with their customers and their clients and how that can be married in accordance with what insurers are, are pulling together. And ultimately, when the two are working together, you can provide a very, very compelling customer proposition. Tell us a bit about then how WTW uses uh, so the high tech stuff. You, you told me earlier that you're currently the only intermediary in Australia who uses machine learning and predictive analytics to predict potential customer churn in the SME segment. How are you using that exactly? Yeah, it's something that we experimented with uh, a little while ago, Danny. It's uh, an organisation that I met uh, in the US a few years ago who were really creating a, a new pathway and a new way of doing things uh, to support the insurance industry. And this is a great example about where you can collaborate with technology and not not fear that they're actually going to try and take over uh, your role or the role of a bro any broker moving forward. Um, but essentially what we wanted to do, and most brokers will probably say, if you ask them you know, a number of questions about what problem are we trying to solve, uh, then for me, the number one problem I was trying to solve within our commercial or SME business was how could we possibly get to know and understand what SME clients that we had that were likely to churn before they actually churned? Because then we could actually have uh, some interaction uh, with those particular clients to actually try and understand what would lead to them being classified at high risk of churn. So we, we started working with a third party organisation who had that technology and we started to, we ran a pilot within our business and uh, didn't tell the staff at the time because we wanted to make sure that we we were getting the accuracy right without having it manipulated by uh, individual intervention. And when we ran it for a one-month period, we found that the technology that we were using actually had a 72% uh, success rate in terms of predicting churn. And that was a big eye-opener for me. So we started to take it to the next level. And what we now do is we have a regular upload of information, uh, which is called internal source data. And a third-party company uses external source data, which might be industry-related information, economic source data, and other influencing factors. And then once a week, our brokers actually get a list of all of their renewals that are 60 days in advance. And it gives every one of those individual renewals a score uh, in a percentage sense of what the likelihood of churn might be. So then brokers can actually start to prioritise their intervention uh, based on you know big portfolios of customers or clients that they're actually looking after. So it's been a fascinating and eye-opening experience that we've been through about how you can marry emerging technology with traditional broking ways uh, of doing business and managing the results and the outcomes that come with it. Mm, how, how is that sort of customer churn looking at the moment as we kind of come out of COVID? Yeah, that's a great question, Danny, because, um, you know, a lot of these technology platforms, they're built on data and their algorithms love 
uh, data that's been collected over an extended period of time. And when you throw in a mix of COVID, then all the data and the algorithm that sits behind it can get thrown way out of whack because it's having data thrown into it that's never seen before. So like a lot of uh, organisations, you know, we, we saw some change and some of the accuracy of predictions certainly dropped away in the um, the first 12 months of the COVID experience. But as we're moving back out the other side now, that accuracy is starting to re-emerge uh, back to where it was pre-COVID. So it, it's really starting to learn and understand the impact of COVID on various industries and occupations uh, and all organisations of various shapes and sizes too. Can I can I put you on the spot a bit and just ask if anything stands out in what it's noticing at the moment? Um, the big thing that it's trying to understand is a number of small businesses, purely as a matter of survival, uh, had to pivot during COVID. So their core business may have altered and they may have amended and moved them into moved themselves into a different uh, risk profile by selling or manufacturing or uh, different products or providing different services. That was probably the big one. Uh, because early days, the the model couldn't pick it, pick that up, or it didn't understand what was going on with the data being fed into it. Um, so now it's getting out information that's a lot more consistent, and it's starting to recognise that uh, certain small businesses actually had to move, and they had to change, and they had to update. And it's starting to be uh, quite accurate in determining the survival rate of those businesses that are changing or have had to change. And it's also allowing us to get an insight into which ones of those are, are more likely to churn if they've been through or have experienced more change than others. I'm not sure if this is something that it looks at too, but I mean, how does it react when something like a, a flooding disaster happens or is that too much of a punctual event to really impact it? Yeah, that's pretty much, as you point out, a punctual event and, and is not really going to be built into a lot of what we do. Um but it's nevertheless a factor and that's those physical loss issues um, tend to be a little bit quarantined from what we do. We, we've touched on your career as a broker a little bit, but I was just wondering what do you see as the, the, the sort of big examples of how being a broker has changed in the last couple of decades? Yeah, look, it's the life of a broker is not an easy one, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think some of the, the changes that I've seen is that Brokers themselves, we've had to become a lot more nimble than what we ever have before. Yeah, we, we live in a world where there's emerging risks that are confronting various industries on a day-by-day, month-by-month, quarter-by-quarter basis, and, and we tend to have to be across those to be able to provide the service that we do. But also, as I mentioned before, from an insurer perspective, uh, with the copious amounts of data that's available, uh, brokers have had to become a lot more sophisticated. Um, and the role that data and analytics plays is going to be more and more significant as time progresses. So if you couple that with the importance of, you know, a greater knowledge foundation ac- across a wide variety of topics, then that's where I see uh, broking has changed so significantly because <clears throat> usually you could embed yourself within an industry and understand that inside out. Um, you know, now you have to be a master of all to provide the depth and level of service that a lot of clients expect today. That sounds like it's a it's a real mental exercise that it possibly wasn't two decades ago. Do you feel like brokers are up to, up to that challenge? I'd like to think so. Um, you know, the broking profession is full of incredibly talented people. 
um, that have got a you know come from a wide variety of backgrounds, you know, both professionally and educationally. Um, so I'd like to think that the industry is in good hands with the people that are in it. Um, I think what the challenge is that we've got is how we attract uh, the younger generation to looking at the insurance industry and more specifically broking as a fabulous career option. I have to ask you, I mean, broking is can be a tremendously fascinating job and I'm sure your career has taken you to interesting places. Where, where are some of the places that it's taken you and what were you doing there? Uh, yeah, look, I was I was fortunate that uh, prior to joining WTW, um, I worked for a client for a number of years uh, and got a, a very unique insight from an industry perspective, you know, looking at uh, the entire industry through the lens of both the insurer that supported uh, our business at the time, as well as the services provided by insurance brokers. Uh, that was the first role that I undertook that really took me around the world um, to various locations. So whether that be a number of uh, European locations, Asia-Pacific locations, North American locations, um, having the ability to learn and understand that through the eyes of a client uh, provided me with a great foundation of knowledge before I ultimately moved into the broking side. Then from a broking perspective, you know, working with uh, our colleagues internationally and then actually having a number of clients that are globally based uh, and having to be on various occasions, be on the ground with them, working through a number of different challenges that they're facing. Um, you know, again, that's taken me uh, throughout Europe or throughout the Asia-Pacific region, um, North America and Canada and South America. And what we've learned through those experiences, working with our clients and meeting their challenges, uh, has been a very rewarding and fulfilling experience. Can we talk a bit more specifically? Because I know a lot of people, when they travel overseas in the sort of way you've described, it's, it can be a, a life-changing experience and make it quite hard to come home and settle down. Was there a particular trip that you found particularly, I guess, provocative in that way or, or stimulating? Uh, I, I think I'd probably have to um, talk about the US more than any other part of the world, having spent most of my time over there. Um, you know, the, the insurance industry itself and how it's structured is actually very different to the Australian insurance market and our, our products are quite a bit different as well. Um, but the fundamental way that the market works and the way that clients operate over there is still the same. And it's still based on uh, problems that a client will throw at you and then what you need to do uh, with your immediate team that surrounds you and the broader team that, of the whole organisation about how you determine what that solution is going to be. Um, dealing with a number of challenges uh, without going into specifics for from a particular client point of view, but marshalling uh, that support from not only the internal organisation within the on-the-ground North American operations, but bringing in other parts of the organisations to sit down and try and solve really challenging problems was probably the one that uh, sits in my mind the most and one that over the over many years I've probably been most proud of. Can you go into specifics or it's not, it's not possible to talk about what you were solving exactly? Yeah, it's probably not relevant to go into specifics, uh, otherwise it might give away the, um, you know, the name and nature of the client involved. Um, and for the purpose of this, I, I'd like to protect their, their identity at this point in time, Danny. 
Yeah, that's fine. I'm, I'm interested in the, the cultural differences between the way Americans do business and I suppose the way most Australians do business is something that always strikes me. I've, I've found Americans have a much more libertarian side to them that I that kind of sometimes makes the, the business transaction seem very focused on the money side and less the people side. And I'm just wondering what you think of that. I think that's a great observation because the, the number one uh, observation that I took over there was that it's incredibly transactional. So, you know, the, whether it's the insurance market or whether it's the client or the broker, uh, it typically operates in an environment where you meet the needs of that immediate transaction and then you move on. Uh, the loyalty factor doesn't seem to be there, uh, whereas one thing I've noticed about the Australian market, it, it's very relationship-driven. Uh, and if you build really strong relationships, you know, you can actually manage through good times and bad times uh, together uh, if that relationship has great foundations. Uh, in North America, it tends to move around. So, you know, the last transaction that you did with someone won't really count for much uh, as you move on into the next transaction. So, uh, just different ways of doing business and have, having to learn to adapt to those different ways of doing business um, is a great learning experience. That's an, that's an interesting um, just description you give. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to expand this a little to the Europeans. And of course, Europe is, it's hard to generalize again, but do they are they more like the Australians in that they they are perhaps more loyal once you start doing business with them? Yes, definitely. Um, uh, London markets in particular, if you build long-term strategic relationships with them, you, you tend to have that uh, loyalty uh, as firm as possible uh, built over an extended period of time. Uh, and that's something that you know, a lot of you know, Australian brokers and Australian clients particularly enjoy is uh, that loyalty factor. What was it like for you visiting Lloyds of London for the first time? Uh, I think like every insurance professional, the, the first time you go there and even the first time you ever get to the, uh, sit in a booth or an underwriting booth for that first um, deal that you're trying to put together, it's quite a daunting experience. Um but it's, it's an incredibly rewarding experience too. You don't realise at the time how much you're learning through that process uh, to help you become a better broker too and also how, how much you get challenged uh, when you know, you're presenting risks to that market, the, the depth and level of uh, understanding that they have across a wide variety of topics will challenge you in ways that you haven't been challenged before when you're presenting a risk and you need to understand that you have to be prepared uh, for every conversation that you're going into if you if you want the outcome that you're trying to strive to achieve anyway. Was there a particular way that you got challenged that you recall? I think one of the first major transactions that I put together, um, it, it, I was really challenged from the perspective of understanding the broader market outside of the individual client that I was actually presenting. Um, and, you know, going in, trying to be prepared with as much data as possible about the particular client that you were presenting um, and trying to represent them in a way where they may have been slightly better than the general market um, conditions or market environment, being challenged on that um, and making sure that you were fully aware and cognizant of what was happening outside of that particular client within the industry, um, that was a big a big eye-opening experience for me in terms of making sure that when you go prepared, go prepared well beyond just your immediate client alone. 
that's a, that's a good lesson to learn. I'm just curious. Uh, I mean, Lloyd's, it sounds like it can be quite a rowdy place and they enforced a drinking ban on their lunchtimes relatively recently. What was that ban in place when you were there? Uh, no, so uh, that wasn't there uh, when I was last uh, transacting uh, a deal over there. So, um, yeah, that's still quite a, you know, a, a cultural part of uh, how the market works from a relationship perspective. And, yeah, some of those, you know, old school long-time lunches and so forth, they, they may have well and truly gone out of the window, but the, your ability to actually meet up with the market and actually enjoy their company and get to know those people and build that trust and respect beyond just the transaction alone, that still exists. And I think that's a really important part of any relationship. Before I let you get back to your to your job, um, you've actually worked with AFL footballers, you mentioned a few minutes ago. Can you tell us about the origins of ImproveMe.com and, and how the sport kind of came into it all? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a long personal story, which I won't bore you with, uh, Danny, but it it's, uh, comes off the back of my own uh, experience in professional sport um, and you know, coming across uh, athletes who um, had experiences in life where they may have had to make a, a career shift or a career turn because they could no longer perform at the best of their ability. Um, starting to work with some from the perspective of understanding what the next step might be, should they be confronted with a challenge where they needed to exit professional athlete environment and move into uh, the workforce environment and actually had to do that seamlessly and prepare for it while they were actually performing, uh, became a bit of a passion. And my first experience with, with that was probably over 15 years ago now. And it's gradually evolved since then. Um, it's something I've been passionate about for a long period of time. Um, and a lot of it is firmly entrenched in allowing athletes, not just AFL footballers, but from other um, sporting domains as well, to get a deeper understanding of what their strengths are as individuals uh, and allow them and give them the ability to appreciate the fact that they're, they're developing some incredible transferable skills that they can move into uh, the workforce either in combination with whilst they're still performing or when their career ultimately comes to an end to provide that confidence that when they need to take that next step, they can actually do it um, with a lot of confidence. And I understand that you've actually brought some AFL footballers over to WTW. Yes, we've, we've had, uh, it's been quite an experience. We've had a few come and experiment with insurance career, uh, insurance broking as a career. Uh, and we've got one current um, AFL footballer who's working with us who has, you know, well and truly decided that uh, insurance broking is the career that he wants to pursue uh, once his playing career comes to an end. Um, so have, being a part of that journey with that person has uh, been incredibly rewarding as well, uh, including watching his own growth and development within the industry too. Brent Lehman, thanks for joining us on IB Talk. Thanks very much, Danny. I appreciate the conversation. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And Brent is WTW's Head of Commercial and Affinity. He's based in Melbourne, Australia. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to IB Talk. For the latest episodes, be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher and Apple Podcasts.